Well, as Cody said, we're doing things just a little bit differently this morning. I want to welcome you to Emmanuel Late Night. I'm your host, Andy Atkinson. <laughs> I have some wonderful guests here this evening. No, I'm, I'm kidding. Um, if you're visiting with us, we don't normally uh, do things quite this style. I'm normally not seated. Um, when I preach, um, so this is a little different for us, but I'm incredibly excited um, about this morning and about what God has for us today. This, this morning really uh, marks for us uh, our transition back into the fall schedule. Um, and so for us, that means that uh, this morning we're getting our, our gospel communities uh, really geared up and going for the fall semester. And so we're going to spend our time this morning uh, as a church uh, focusing on the significance um, and the importance of these groups, these gospel communities is what we call them, these, these groups uh, in the life of our church. So nine years ago, uh, when the Lord began to stir in my heart um, a, a burden to, to plant a church, I, I really began to believe the Lord was calling uh, my family and I to take this, this giant step of faith and uh, to pursue planting a church in Birmingham. One of, one of the core convictions um, as we uh, sense that call uh, about um, one of the things that we believe needed to be true of the church that we would plant is this idea that it is God's design and his desire for the church uh, to be like a family. That, that church is, is, is less like a corporation than it is a community. Um, that, it's, that it's less an institution than it is a set of intimate relationships. Um, and we see this picture of what it was like uh, with those early believers uh, in Acts chapter 2. And so I want you to listen to how, um, how it's described in, in, the, the gospel, or in the book of Acts, um, how the early church was depicted. This comes from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. You can follow along on the screens um, if you don't have your copy of God's Word with you. But, but uh, Luke describes the early church this way. It says, uh, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer, Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now, all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day, they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple, and they broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying favor of all the people, and every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Now, this picture of the early church that we see in Acts 2 uh, has, has greatly informed uh, the, the kind of church that we set out to be. Um, early on, as we, as we talked about this vision of planting a church, and we talked about the environments that we would seek to create for our church, we knew that this picture of community in Acts chapter 2 um, had to inform those decisions. Um, and so we, we, we asked questions like, how can we foster the kind of community that we see pictured here in Acts 2? And so for the past seven years, we've been attempting to try to create and foster this Acts 2 Community. This morning, I, I want to draw our attention to, to three things that characterize the early church uh, community. And, and as we notice these characteristics, we're also going to hear some testimonies. So that's why there are these chairs beside me. We're going to hear some testimonies from some in our church um, that want to share with you what it's meant for them 
uh, to be a part of our church as we've sought to live these things out. And so the first thing that we notice here in, in Acts chapter 2 is that the early church was a devoted community. I want to draw our attention back to verses 42 and verse 46. In verse 42, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Then verse 46 says, And every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. And they ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts. Twice in these verses, uh, Luke says uh, that, they, that these early believers were devoted. They, they devoted themselves to certain things. Uh, Luke says they devoted themselves to, to the apostles' teaching, uh, to prayer, to attending the temple together. Uh, in worship, to sharing meals and partaking in communion together. Um, if, if we were going to summarize all of that, we could say it this way. Uh, these early believers, their orbit was around Jesus. Their lives orbited around Jesus. They, they were devoting themselves to Jesus and to his church. I, I think in our modern day, we tend to view church as like one spoke on the wheel of life. It's like, it's like one spoke. It's there. We know it's supposed to be there. But what we see in these early believers is that the church, Jesus, was not a spoke on the wheel. He was the center of the wheel. Everything orbited around Jesus, and everything orbited around the church of Jesus Christ. They didn't have these early believers. They didn't have one foot in and, and one foot out when it came to this Christian community. They, they were devoted. They were both feet in every day together, studying God's word, praying together, fellowshipping together, breaking bread in each other's homes. In other words, this wasn't just a once a week thing. I like how Eshon Burgundy says it. He says, Jesus is not a weekend thing. And so as we consider this reality, we we asked, how can we keep Jesus at the center of our lives, at the center of our church? We desire to be a church uh, more than on Sunday mornings. Now, it's certainly not less than that, right? So we see the early church attending the temple together. But we also see them in each other's homes, in each other's lives, praying together, caring for one another. And so we decided that core to our church would be what we call gospel communities, which are these small groups within our church aimed at helping each person in, in our body grow in his or her relationship with Jesus. So, so these gospel communities, we like to abbreviate those and call them GCs. These GCs exist to help us keep Jesus at the center of our lives by calling us to, to dig into God's word together and to spend time praying together. The author of Hebrews says that we should not neglect the gathering of ourselves together so that we can stir one another up to love and good deeds. We need to gather regularly, certainly on Sundays, but more than on Sundays, to be agitated up to love and good works by one another. And so over the years, one of those agitators in my life has been um, Hunter Speck. So I'm going to invite Hunter. Uh, there he is. He's in the back. I'm going to invite Hunter to come join me on stage. Hunter and I uh, were a part of the same gospel community um, for years and, and, and this brother right here has been such uh, an encouragement to me personally. God has used, used Hunter time and again to remind me of the gospel, uh, to expose sin in my life. Hunter does that very graciously. He's, he's very kind in the way that he's done that toward me. Hunter's encouraged me. And so 
Um, I just wanted, I invited Hunter to just share this, this morning a little bit about what it's meant for him to be a part of, of gospel community. Hunter, there's a, there's a mic right there. Um, I just want to start by, by you just sharing um, what it's meant for you or, or how you came to be a part of Emmanuel. So how, how did you come to be a part of the church? Yeah, so um, me and Andy go back a few years. Uh, Andy was my college pastor in Hattiesburg when I was a, you know, know-it-all college student. Um, and... I was in his gospel community there, and uh, after I graduated and got a job, me and Carly took a trip to North Carolina to go visit some friends who moved there with the church plant and um, with Tony Marita, and um, we went up there and just saw the work they were doing and just how much they loved each other and, and how they poured into each other and how they were serving the community, and I was like, man, like, I really want to be a part of something like that one day, and um, it was really encouraged by it, and we came back, and I think the week before we left, uh, Andy had announced that he was moving to plant a church in Birmingham, and uh, we got back, and me and Carla were eating Mexican, and I was like, so uh, how about moving to Birmingham, you know, and be with Andy and Melanie plant this church? Really, it was just a uh, kind of a, you know, if she was going to say no, I was just kidding, um, <laughs> but if she was going to say yes, then I was serious, and uh Anybody who knows my wife knows how much of a homebody she is, and she was like, yeah, I think we should do it. <laughs> so uh, that started our journey to move here to Birmingham uh, with Andy and Melanie back in 2012, and uh, we just plugged in ever since. So Hunter's really been, um, been with us from the jump. He's been with us from very early on, um, before we were public or had launched a, a worship gathering or, or anything. You guys moved here uh, with us, and... One of the things that, uh, that I think Hunter and I would both agree on as we've walked this journey together for several years now is that following Jesus is hard. Um, we would both readily confess to you that like, we struggle to keep Christ central in our lives. That it's so easy to kind of get out of that orbit and to begin to orbit around something else, usually ourselves. Um, the, the, you know, There's a hymn that we sing sometimes that says that we're prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. And so, um, Hunter, I'd love for you to just share uh, how being a part of a gospel community in a, in a small group with other believers has, has helped keep you in orbit around Jesus and keep you anchored to the gospel um, and to Jesus. Well, um, it hasn't been painless, that's for sure. Uh, I feel like whenever we moved here, kind of one of the uh, motivators was that I didn't want to live my life in complete comfort with things that I'm only familiar with um, and build my own kingdom where I was. And so uh, moving here was kind of a, you know, what I thought was getting away from that. And um, it didn't take very long for me to, to realize that uh, my problem was not where I lived or the fact that things were familiar, but it's the fact that deep down I wanted to be my own God. And, uh, and so, like, within a year of moving here, I found myself in the same struggles I've always had, you know, trying to keep things within my control, keep things comfortable, minimize suffering as much as I can. And um, you just can't do that in gospel community. You know, like, you bear one of those burdens. You know, you have sin in your life. Your brother has sin in his life. And you're called to call each other out. You know, that's like crossing the line if you're not blood family. You know, but um, 
I feel like, and just kind of came to realize that, you know, we are blood family. And, uh, you know, we're family by the blood of Christ, and that transcends biology. And, you know, we've all been adopted into the same family, and people who have adopted, like, really get that. And so I feel like being part of a gospel community has really challenged me, one, to build my own kingdom. And secondly, and maybe even more importantly, I feel like the struggle of my life has just been anxiety. And uh, anybody who's anxious knows that you tend to, um, it's really just lack of control. You don't control anything, and you tend to want to construct your life in a way to where you have control, or at least think you have control. And so what ends up happening is that you become very myopic. You tend to avoid, you know, other people suffering because you can't do anything about it. You have no control over it. Um, your relationships, you tend to be the taker, not the giver in your relationships. And, um, you know, being a part of a gospel community is not just a bunch of givers. You know, other people um, can see that and can really, you know, point out where you're not believing the gospel. And that's just not an easy thing to hear. You know, people tell me I'm not believing the gospel. And you know what? Sometimes I just don't care. Like, I'm anxious about it. You're not helping. That's what it feels like, you know. But what the person's telling me is true. Like, like I can't tell you how many times uh, me and Andy have gotten together and I'm anxious about yet another thing. And then that'll pass. And then I'm anxious about another thing. And that'll pass. And I'm anxious about another thing. I'm, You know, I think I'm just an anxious person deep down. So, uh, um, But, you know, being part of a gospel community really speaks into that and um, helps me come to terms with the fact that I'm not in control, that I'm not my own God, that I serve the God of the universe who has adopted me, and, um, and that I'm trying to figure out this life thing with other people because none of us have it figured out. And, um, you know, our, our in, um, intention and design is to mirror the image of Christ. And, you know, uh, we're still simple human beings, and we don't do that very well. But uh, I feel like in a gospel community is where I really feel, feel like iron sharpens iron, and there's friction, but not in a bad way, but in a way that glorifies God. Yeah. I think it was... D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who said that um, we spend far too much time listening to ourselves and not enough time preaching to ourselves. Um, And one of the beauties of gospel community is that we have other people lovingly preaching to us, reminding us of the truth, reminding us of the good news, that Jesus is enough, that he is great and glorious and gracious and good. Um, So, brother, thank you for sharing. Thank you for being vulnerable vulnerable this morning. Let's pause and just pray. and then we'll, we'll continue to worship. Father, we uh, do thank you that in your design, uh, you never intended us to walk this Christian journey alone. Um, but that by your design, you call us into community with one another where we can hear the truth uh, spoken over us, where we can be reminded of things that we need to be reminded of, where we can be pulled back into orbit around you. Life is better when we orbit around you and not ourselves. So, God, thank you for your gracious design. God, I pray that we would, we would press in and that we would love each other well, that we would speak the truth uh, lovingly to one another um, because the truth is in Jesus. So, really, we're just speaking Jesus to one another. God, make us a church that speaks Jesus to one another regularly. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we see, um, as we look at Acts 2, that 
uh, this early in the in the early church, there was this devotion to Christ. Um, Jesus was at the center of their lives. They they committed themselves to God through His Word, through uh, prayer, through fellowship with with one another. So. They, they, they were devoted to God, but we also see this beautiful picture of how they were devoted to one another. Uh, the early church was not only a, a devoted community, they were a united community. Um, look at verses 43 through 45 with me. It says, Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now, listen to this. All the believers were together. They held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. This is a beautiful picture of how the early church was was united together. They were united in their worship. It says that there was awe upon every soul. They they were all united together in in, in awe of God and and of what he was doing. God was moving among them. Signs and and wonders were being performed through the, the hands of the apostles. God was at work in their midst, but then there was also this unity of care. They were caring for one another. As, and so as we uh, read this passage and reflected on this reality, we said our, our GCs have to be environments where we care for one another, like really care for one another. Um, so we defined a, a gospel community not only as a group where each person can grow in his or her relationship with Jesus, but we also define these groups as a place where, where each person can experience the blessing of Christian community. And, and we began to use this phrase in our church uh, where we, we said, no one falls through the cracks at Emmanuel. We really want that to be true of us, that, that in our church, among our members, that, that no one falls through the cracks, because that's what we see reflected in this passage, right? These believers are, are, are of their own volition. Like this is a free will offering to the Lord, right? They're selling possessions. They're, they're selling pieces of land and they're laying them at the apostles' feet. This is not socialism, by the way. This is, this is willing giving away. This is, this is of their own choice, uh, selling radical generosity, putting it at the apostles' feet and saying, hey, distribute this as, as there are needs in our midst. And so there's this radical generosity, and we want that to be true of our church. We've, I've actually seen this uh, be true of our church. I've seen money collected to serve a member in need. I, I, I've, seen, uh, I've seen furniture donated to care for uh, a, a single mom who needed furniture in her home. I've, 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 seen, I've literally seen a car given away to care for a member. And I've also watched gospel communities really step in the gap and love uh, love others in their group that were in a time of hurt, um, that were tired and in need of love and, and care. And so I, I want to invite John and Alyssa McCoy uh, to join me on stage. John and Alyssa are, are two of our members, um, and they're going to share with you just a little bit about what's been going on in their lives and how, how specifically being a part of a gospel community has, has served them and that they've been cared for um, through gospel communities. So why don't we start with Alyssa? Make sure that thing's on, Alyssa. Um, Would you? There we go. Alyssa, why don't you start just telling us about kind of when you came to Emmanuel, how you you guys found us. Um, When did you first find us and make it to our church? Yeah, so John and I moved here right after we got married in May of 2017. And um, we had some mutual friends who already lived here and had kind of put the bug in our ear about Emmanuel Church. And um, we happened to move next door to the Campbells. 
and um, our friends knew them, so they introduced us, and um, one night they invited us to Taco Tuesday, and that was kind of the end of this, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, so, exactly, um, Taco Tuesday, it's... So they invited us to Taco Tuesday, we met a lot of people from the church there, um, and uh, we really felt like, we could already tell that I mean, there's a, there's a lot of people at Taco Tuesday, if you haven't been. There's like, <laughs> there's like 15 people there. So we can already tell that there's a lot of community um, in the church. And so um, we started visiting, and um, we quickly realized that this was our home away from home. Because neither one of us are from Birmingham. We're both from North Alabama and don't have family here. So um, it quickly became our family. And I kind of... John, why don't you jump in right there? So, so you guys you know, had, had a mutual, we, I guess we had a mutual friend or acquaintance that kind of told you about Emmanuel. You guys uh, started checking, checking it out. Um, you moved next door to the Campbells. So this next question is probably pretty natural. Like how long did it take you to get connected to a gospel community? And what was it like finding a group? So it was, re- actually it was, so we met them on Tuesday for lunch or dinner. And then Meredith invited us to church that Sunday and told like 10 people. She was like, hey, these are our neighbors. Come say hey to them. <laughs> and then after that, we went to lunch with them, and she was like, hey, we're having this thing at our house tonight. Y'all should come. So it was literally, I think, five days, something like that. Really quick for you guys. And then, you know, like after that, Meredith and Grayson would just, like, show up at our house and be like, hey, how are you guys? Or, like, <laughs> I would be outside, and Grayson would just come mow the grass. And I'm just like, okay, I guess this is what we do here. And so he and I would go back, went back and forth for like a year, just mowing each other's grass, doing that kind of thing. But um, yeah, so it's like less than a week and we were already, they brought us in that fast. Wow. I I think there are a couple houses for sale on Crest Hill. So if you want to live (laughs) next to Grayson and Meredith, uh, you can, you can take advantage of that. No, so um, I want to transition a little bit. I know a lot's been going on in y'all's lives really over the last nine months. Um, That's to, that's to put it lightly. Um, so maybe for, for those who don't know, um, would you share just a little bit about what's been going on in your lives and um, kind of the challenges that you guys have been facing in this season? Sure. So in December of last year, we found out we were pregnant and we decided to share with our GC um, before we had our first appointment just to be praying about it and um, for a healthy pregnancy, healthy baby. So January 15th, we had our first appointment, and we found out we were having twins, and we were like, okay, guys, you prayed a little too hard. (laughs) So um, since then, it's really kind of been, um, it's been a whirlwind. So a few weeks after that, um, twin pregnancies are automatically classified as high risk. So we had to go to a special doctor, and we found out that um, one of our babies was what is called IUGR, intrauterine growth restricted. And um, so basically that just meant she did not get, um, she had a very small portion of the placenta. She wasn't growing as well. And um, we were told many times that she wasn't going to make it, that she just wasn't going to be able to get what she needed. So um, they started sending us to Cincinnati in March, and um, they were trying to see if we were a candidate for laser surgery. Um, that would essentially help help both babies regardless of what ended up happening. So through that time, um, pretty much all through March, we were going back and forth to Cincinnati about twice a week. And um, so John was having to take off work. Um, I went on 
uh, bed rest. So I was at home. Um, we were traveling a lot. And like our GC, that was when we really um, started feeling our G. I mean, not that we didn't feel it before, but like our GC started um, like providing meals for us. They um, were financially helping us because we were constantly driving, whether that meant, you know, um, cleaning our house for us. Somebody came and um, did our dishes and just things like that. Um, so that was super helpful. And um, so we went through all of that. Um, and we were not candidates for the surgery. It turned out the girls were too stable to um, do the surgery. And um, we came back in April. And um, we were able to be monitored at UAB for a couple weeks. Then we were admitted. So um, we were admitted at UAB for a couple weeks. And um, a lot of people from the church were visiting us there, just coming to pray with us or bringing us meals, trying to make us not feel so like we were in a prison there. So um, then the girls were actually born on May 25th, and um, they were 28 weeks and five days. So they're really, really early. And um, we, we were expecting NICU time, so it wasn't really a surprise that they were born early. But um, so that's kind of like where a lot of the hard stuff started. Um, so the girls were born, they were in the NICU, and then at 13 days, um, Charlotte, one of our twins, we got a call that she was really sick and um, that we needed to come down to the hospital. So we came down to the hospital, and um, they were able to find out fairly quickly that she had necrotizing intercolitis, which is an infection that mainly affects premature babies, but um, it's really severe, it happens really suddenly, and a lot of times it's fatal. So um, right after we got there, Charlotte had actually, she coded, and um, we, we were able to be there pretty much for the whole time. Um, she coded, they were able to bring her back, get her stable, and um, that was when I started realizing um, people from our GC were, like, trickling into our room. And um, so she was stable for a little bit, and then um, she coded again. And they were, they were able to get her back, but they said it was kind of at a point where we realized um, she, she wasn't going to make it. And so from that point on, I kind of really... Um, I really focused on her. Like, I wanted to remember everything about her face. So that was, I wasn't really looking around the room or anything. I was just focused on her. So um, for a while, we, um, we sat there, and people from our GC, I knew people were around me, around us. They would come and pray with us and just be there. And I know at one point, I actually looked up, and there were... Like, I was overwhelmed by how many people were there with us. And I honestly don't even know how everybody found out or how everybody knew to come. But on the worst day of our life, our community, our GC was there to support us. Amen. John, what would you say? Thank you for sharing, Alyssa. I know that's it's hard to, to sit up here and just bear your heart. Um, 
John, what would you say is it's meant to you guys just being anchored into community? How how is that stabilized and served y'all in this season? Well, it's so it's funny because she mentioned like earlier uh, at some point. Sorry. Um, like, when we found out that we were pregnant, both of our families were just like, y'all should move closer to home. Like, we need y'all closer. And we're like, no, like, we're, we're going to try this out. Like, we can make this on our own. Um, and then I think my parents found out because we were moving into a new house and, like, 12 people just showed up to, to help. Like, we didn't really call anybody. We were just like, hey, we're moving. And so my, my mom kind of was just like, okay, I get it. Like, y'all are going to be okay. And then we were, she mentioned we were in the hospital, and I'll look up, and there's 30 people in the hallway. Like, these nurses can't do their jobs in the other room because they can't make it through the hallway. Mm. And I'm like, and I think, I think not only did our families realize that, but I think a lot of people in the hospital realized, like, there's something different going on here. Because, mm. like, they had to ask them to move, like, 30 minutes later. They're like, we can't do our jobs, and we need y'all to... So it's, it's been extremely, um, just going back to the question, it's been extremely helpful just having your family away from your family here. Like, yeah, um, so there was, and that's actually, there was a, somebody brought us a meal the other day and they were just like, um, the one thing we've, like, we don't know you guys, we've never met you, but the one thing we've noticed about this church is that people love each other and they care for each other. And this is how we want to do. They're like, we want to meet you guys, but this is just our way for us to start. Well, wow. so it's like just things like that. It's just it's become so overwhelming in a great way. Like it's it's very humbling to realize that not only are we going through something, but everybody in this church is going through the same thing with us. Yeah, yeah. It reminds me of what the Apostle Paul says in Thessalonians when he says that. When we suffer, part of God's design in our suffering is that we're able to then comfort those um, who are also suffering with the comfort that we've received from the Lord and from the body of Christ. That there's this extending, ex- you know, there's this extension of God's love through our suffering to, to others as they suffer. Um, before we end, I, um, I want to get you guys to just tell us a little bit about Caroline and um, just um, tell us how she's doing. And, um, and just what's, what's the latest with her? Yeah, so Caroline, she was the smaller twin that um, she, they, that was the one that they didn't expect to make it. So she's born at one pound and 10 ounces. And um, today she's five pounds and 11 ounces. She's, she's come quite a long way. Praise God. Um, she's doing very well. And um, she's expected to come home in the next couple weeks. So we're really excited yes. for that. Yes. We'll probably need some more meals that we need to get lined up. We'll get another meal train going. That's what we do here. Um, John and Alyssa, thank you guys for sharing. Can we, we're going to pause and just pray uh, for John and Alyssa, but also for, for others in our body who are maybe going through a time of, of grieving and suffering. Let's, let's pause and pray together. Father, we, we pause and we give thanks that in our suffering, Lord, we never suffer alone. Because, God, you're with us. But, God, you've also given us the body of Christ so that when one member suffers, we all suffer together. That we mourn with those who mourn. We grieve with those who grieve. 
But God, we also rejoice with those who rejoice. God, we, we both grieve and rejoice with John and Alyssa this morning. We grieve for Charlotte. But we rejoice for Caroline and we give you thanks for sustaining her life. God, we also give you thanks for how you have grown uh, John and Alyssa's faith through this season, how you have stabilized and solidified them through this hard time. Thank you for the Campbell's GC that has loved them incredibly well. Jesus, we thank you for your love. We thank you that we have a Savior and a Lord who empathizes with us in our weakness. Jesus, you walked you walked this life fully as a human. You know what it is to hurt. You know what it is to cry. And so you're able to understand our weakness and our suffering. We thank you for that this morning. We praise you that you are sovereign over us. And so God, help us to rejoice in that reality now, even as we sing. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Jesus said, by this the world will know that you are my disciples. You remember what he said? If you have love for one another. Um, he intends for the way that we love and care for one another to really make the gospel compelling to the world. Um, and that's exactly what we see happening with this early church. Look at verse 47 with me. Verse 47 says that they, as they were praising God, they were enjoying the favor of all the people. All the people uh, are actually like intrigued and, and drawn to this early church community. And then it says, every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. The, the early church was not just uh, a devoted community and a, and a united community, but they were a multiplying community. Um, the Lord was adding to their number. They were really an anomaly, right? So the, their beliefs were probably confounding to many. In fact, we know that the early church was hated for their belief in this crucified, uh, resurrected Savior, right? Paul says that it was a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. Uh, so, so there was this sense in which like, uh, people were offended by the message of the gospel that they believed, and yet... Uh, their love and care for one another was super attractive and mag magnetic. And so uh, the, the people in the first century really didn't know what to do with the early church, but, but people were drawn to it. And the Lord was adding to their number those who were being saved. And so uh, we want to be a church, I mean, specifically we want our gospel communities to, uh, to be environments not only where we grow and where we care, but also where we extend the kingdom of God and proclaim the gospel. Um, through our groups, we, we long to, to reach our neighbors and, and our coworkers and our family members with the gospel. We want them to see how we love and care for one another, just as John and Alyssa testified um, to, the, to the effect that that had on, on hospital workers, doctors and nurses, on, on family members, where they're seeing them being cared for and people are going, that's not normal. And I would just say to you, like, it's not normal. It's supernatural. It's the work of Jesus in our hearts and through our lives. And, and anybody can get in on this. So if you're not in on this this morning, hear the invitation. Come. But that's what we want our, our groups to be. We want them to, to put the gospel on display visibly so that as we proclaim it, as we say, this Jesus is good, he's our Savior, he's our Lord, um, that, that 
it makes that message compelling and that the kingdom of God would extend through our groups. We want to multiply our groups. We want our groups to multiply as, as more people come in, then we multiply them out so that we begin to saturate the city with the presence of Jesus, with the goodness of Jesus, with the glory of Jesus all over our city. I long, I long to be true of us, what was true of this early church, that the Lord was adding to their number every day those who were being saved. And this morning, we have the distinct privilege of, of hearing the testimony of one who has come to faith in Jesus, and, 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 and now she comes to be baptized into the fellowship of our church family. Um, and so I'm going to invite DePauli to join me by uh, the baptistry, and she, um, she's going to share her testimony of how she came to faith in Jesus with us this morning. And then she's going to be baptized. Um, and, and so let me just quickly explain baptism if, you, if you're a guest with us. Um, we believe that baptism is a visible picture. It's a vivid picture of the gospel. This idea that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried into the grave. And on the third day, he was raised from the dead. And, and what the Apostle Paul says in the book of Romans is that through faith in Jesus, we are united to Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. And that in that, our old self, the man of flesh, the, the sinful self, is buried with Christ. It is, it is done away with. Christ has taken our sins to the grave. They no longer define us. They no longer have power over us. And that we are raised with Christ in newness of life. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. And so baptism is a tangible, vivid picture of the gospel. That in Jesus Christ, we have been forgiven and cleansed and washed clean. And we are new from the inside out. We are new creations. So DePauli is going to come give her testimony of how Christ has saved her life. And then we're going to picture that. And she's going to be united to Christ in baptism. So DePauli, come and join me. Hi, everyone. <laughs> um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Tapali. Um, I'm currently a college student living in Birmingham. Um, it's an honor for me to share my testimony with you all today. So um, thank you for um, listening. Um, I have to say this is honestly something that is kind of fearful for me. Um, I think many times when we share our testimonies, we can become prone to focusing on ourselves rather than letting our boast be in Christ and the power of the gospel. Um, so I just hope through this, God, will be, God will, would be glorified and you may see him and not just me. Um, so to begin, I am actually the only believer in my family. I grew up in a Hindu household as both of my parents are from India and immigrated here in the 1980s because they wanted a better life for their kids. They sacrificed everything for us, leaving behind their families and country while learning a new language so we could have access to better opportunities and education than they ever had. And so as you might imagine, hard work, success, and education were highly valued in the home I grew up in. And as a result, I was educated at private Christian schools as a child. And so I had actually learned about Christianity at a really young age. And I knew about Christianity as this universal religion in a man named Jesus who died for people's sins, though I didn't have a strong grasp on the gospel or why Christ did what he did for us. 
in high school, when I started going to church with a friend and began to learn more about Christianity, I prayed a prayer asking Jesus into my heart. But honestly, afterwards, I didn't live any differently from the world. I was still full of anger and pride and envy, and I often looked for my identity in worldly things, such as my achievements in school or people's approval. I was also a huge liar, and a really good one, too. I lied about everything. And it was sometime last year that I actually listened to a sermon by a preacher named Paul Washer, and in Washer's sermon, The True Gospel, he vocalized how American Christianity is often a superficial offering of salvation. The belief that if a person just prays a sinner's prayer and asks Jesus to come into their hearts, then that means that they are right with God. But yet there is no evidence of fruit or repentance in their lives. And I had never heard heart preaching like that before. And it really caused me to examine myself and my sinful lifestyle. So over the following months, the Holy Spirit began to work repentance into my heart, convicting me of the ugliness of my sin. I was deeply broken and realized I'm in desperate need of a Savior because I'm lost and I can't save myself. I thought I deserved eternal damnation, but there was relief knowing I didn't have to bear the punishment because Christ came as a propitiation for my sins and I could be forgiven. And that is beautiful to think about. God can take the worst of sinners and make them the most graceful of saints. However, after becoming a believer, I wasn't prepared for the division and tension it would create in my home. It was hard to see the hostility and opposition and anger I had received from my family for my faith. I was told I was being brainwashed, and I feared if I didn't follow their religion, I'd be kicked out of my home, or they wouldn't pay for my college tuition. But Jesus even warned us he did not come to bring peace on earth, but a sword. He says, for I came to set a man against his father, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And that's a lesson, too, in all of this that I've learned. And I'm just being very honest with you all here today. Following Jesus is anything but easy or comfortable. Yes, Christ is many things. He is our provider, our healer, our friend. But he's also Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And he is not here to play games. He's not here to be docile or fooled with. The truth is following Christ is often costly, lonely, and risky. It can cost us our friendships, our family, our status, perhaps even money. But in return, we attain eternity and lifelong communion with our triune God because he is more than enough for us. And to me, that is the greatest gift of the gospel. It is God himself. He is ours, and we are his. Isn't that just amazing? One of my favorite passages in scriptures from Revelation that says, he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them as our God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. There will be no mourning, crying, or pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. He who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. My name is Nepali, and I'm getting baptized today because this is my public decoration to you, my Christ family, or my public decoration to you, my faith family, that Christ has made me new, and I forever belong to him. Thank you.
All right, Dapali, I'm going to invite you into the water. Dapali, my sister in Christ, based upon your profession of faith in Jesus and in obedience to our Lord's command, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We're buried with Christ by baptism into death and raised to walk in newness of life. Amen.